we pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you today and to recognize again how good you are, that we would taste and see your goodness. God, I pray that we would be stirred to worship you in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every year since I've been here, which we're, that's now in the 11th year since I've been here, we have done a series around Thanksgiving in the book of Psalms. For me, and one of the main reasons that we do this series is for me, and you, you can get in on this if you want, but for me, I take this as a yearly checkup, a yearly reminder of where our hearts are at. So I like to ask myself the question, where I, hopefully you had a, a time over this Thanksgiving holiday to ask the question to your family and friends, what are you thankful for? Well, now let's ask a similar but kind of different question. How is your heart doing with God? Are you eagerly worshiping God these days? Or does the thought of giving thanks to God seem a little distant to you? Let me ask another question. Have you noticed how easy it can be to get off track in your walk with God? So think back over your past year and just ask the question, was it a good year for you? Was your heart close to God this year? I hope it was. But if not... I think I know one thing. There, there may have been many things that went wrong, but if your heart was not close to God, I know one thing that almost for sure went wrong is that your heart was not as thankful to God as it should have been. You see, I think that there is a very close link between our thankfulness to God and how close our hearts stay to God. Thanking God has a way of, of lining our lives up in the right direction. When we recognize who He is and the good things that He has done for us, and we give Him thanks and praise for it, it just helps our hearts to be in the right place. It helps our hearts to stay close to God. You see, we were created to be in a relationship with God, and in this relationship, He is always worthy of praise. And it's good for our hearts to be reminded to praise God. So that's the purpose of this series that we're doing. And that's why I love the Psalms. And one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that wherever we're coming from, the Psalms can help us to go to God. So whether you're flying high and things have been great, you can look at the Psalms and praise God. Or if things haven't been going really well, you can find a lot of Psalms. In fact, I once heard that half of the Psalms, are the, the word he used was wintry in tone. So if your heart isn't doing that well, go to the Psalms and learn how to praise God. Remind yourself how to praise God. So again, one of the reasons I like to do this series every year is because it's good for us to look into our hearts to see how we're doing in the area of giving thanks to God. And again, a heart that gives thanks to God is a heart that stays close to God. And if something isn't right, then we just take that to God. Um, there, there's kind of a... Uh, a twin to thankfulness and it's, it's repentance. We're not going to talk about that one as much today, but if there's anything that's going wrong in our hearts, we go to God in repentance and then we go to God in thanks. Today we're going to look at Psalm 95. It almost feels like two psalms. In fact, some people have suggested that it is two psalms. I don't think so because I think if we look at it with this lens of giving thanks to God, we're going to see two very different aspects of it, but we'll see how there, there's uh, two different ways that we can give thanks to God mentioned in these psalms. And we're going to look at it in two parts. In the first part of Psalm 95, that's verses 1 through 7, we'll see some exhortations to worship God along with some reasons why we should worship. 
Now, if you're a poetry buff, you've heard, things, you've heard about patterns in poetry, and we've definitely got one of those in the first seven verses. In fact, I'll put it up on the screen. It's an A-B-A-B pattern. So the, the first A is exhortations to worship. We see those in verses one through two, and it's followed up by the first B, which is reasons to worship. And then the pattern repeats itself, where in verse six we get another exhortation to worship, and in, in verse seven, more reasons to worship. So let's start out by reading Psalm 95, and I'll read 1 through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So like I said, in verses 1 through 2, we see our first set of exhortations to worship. And I want you to notice something right away about these verses. I want you to notice who they're spoken to. Do you see who they're spoken to? They're spoken to us. A lot of times, maybe you've heard people say our, our worship should always be directed towards God. And of course, in one sense, they're right. We shouldn't worship anybody else. But part of worshiping God can be us reminding each other to worship. In fact, you see a lot of that in the Psalms. Maybe you haven't noticed that, but it's actually a really helpful thing to see that that part of our worship is us reminding each other to worship. Because, like I've mentioned already in this sermon, have you noticed how easy it is for us to get off track? Have you noticed how easy it is for us to stop giving God worship and praise? So one of the things that we should do is that we should encourage each other, like it says in these two verses, to come to the Lord, to come before him with thanksgiving and to shout to him. Let's look at some of the specific words in here now. The first one, in verse 1, we see, uh, let us sing for joy. It's one of my favorite words in the book of Psalms. I learned something new about it, though, as I was studying uh, for this sermon. This word doesn't necessarily, it's all one word, sing for joy in Hebrew. The word doesn't necessarily mean joy. The word can be used just to kind of shout something out, out loud or to sing something. But the psalmists have kind of hijacked this word for their own purposes. The the psalmist took over this word and said, we're going to use this word when we're talking about singing for joy. We're going to use this as a worship word. So it's not just a word about the out loudness of what we do. It's also a word that reminds us to come before God and to to say things joyfully to him, to praise him. So we are to shout for joy to the Lord. And the next phrase in verse 1 is very similar. We are to shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. God is often called a rock or a refuge or a fortress in the book of Psalms. It's one of the things I love about the Psalms. We can come to him. So if you're in a season of life where you feel like you could use a refuge, please know you can go to God, your refuge, and give him thanks. God is the one who keeps us safe, and he does so eternally. Then in verse 2, we're told to come before the Lord with thanksgiving. And I love thanksgiving. I love the holiday. I love the pie. I love the rest of the food. I enjoy watching the football. I love the pie. I think I said that one already, didn't I? Um, What I love even more about thanksgiving, and to say that I love it more than pie is saying something, but what I love even more about thanksgiving is this reminder for us to give thanks to God. Uh, Again, I, I hope that you had time with family or friends over this holiday to, to go around the table or just 
Talk to each other about things that you can give God thanks for. It is so good for our souls to do that. Again, the language in verses 1 and 2 is spoken to each other. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. So one of the ways we can follow that command is to encourage each other to give thanks to God. It's a great practice for us, not just at thanksgiving, not just as we're doing a psalm series, but all year round, let's be thankful people who, who speak our thanksgiving to God. And then at the end of verse 2, it says we are to extol him with music and song. That word extol is actually the same word for shout that we saw at the end of verse 1. So looking at verses 1 through 2 as a whole, what we see are reminders for us to praise God with our mouths. Now I often say here at Cornerstone that, that worship includes everything that we do. It can be our singing. It can also be the way that we serve. Uh, we can worship God with the, the meditations of our heart. We can worship God by getting enough sleep. There are lots and lots of ways that we can worship God. But in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2, I want to point out specifically that the words here have to do with our mouths. So one of the ways that we should be worshiping God is by praising Him with our mouths. So let this be a reminder to you to let your worship, at least at, at times, to have an out loud component. As you sing to God, as you talk to other people about the good things that God has done. Let's give God praise, audible praise. Now we're told some reasons why we should worship. So if you're following along the ABAB pattern, this is the, the first B. It's the first set of reasons to worship God in verses 3 through 5. And there's basically two reasons here. God is the creator and God is in charge of everything. He's sovereign. In verses 4 through 5, we see that God holds the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. We see that he made the sea and the dry land. God made it all. It all belongs to him. Like it says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. God made everything, including us. We all belong to him and should live our lives for him. So one of the great reasons that we should praise God is because he is our creator. In fact, maybe you've heard me say it, or, or maybe you uh, read it in a book that I wrote, that uh, two of the best reasons that we have to believe in God are that he created and that he raised Jesus from the dead. As we think about the great things that God has done, the, the reasons that we have to believe in him, the reasons that we have to worship him, let creation stand as a reminder to you that God is worthy of worship. So the, the next time you see something beautiful in nature, or the, or the next time you consider God's wisdom in creation, let that resound in praise to him. He is the one who made it all. He's the one who made us, and we belong to him. But it's not just the fact that God created, because I think verse 3 also reminds us that God is sovereign. The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Now, let me just say a word about that phrase, the great King above all gods. I, I don't think that God is confused about whether there are other gods or not. In fact, um, Isaiah 45:21, the Lord says, and there is no God apart from me. So, Please know that God knows that there are no other gods. When the Bible talks about other gods like this, it's just an acknowledgement that other people worship other gods. But they shouldn't, because it's ridiculous. Because we know there's only one God, and he's in control of it all. So, God is the one who is, he, he created it all. He is the one who holds it all together and keeps it all running. 
And in verses 3 through 5, it, it gives us these reasons to worship him. He has always been in control, and he always will be. Sometimes it might feel like things are spinning out of our control. Um, you ever feel like that? I mean, I, I bet that we're all tempted to feel like that, maybe on a weekly basis, maybe more for some of you. Maybe this is a, a special weakness for some of you that you feel like things are out of control too often. Well, I just want to remind you today that things are not out of God's control. He is very good at being sovereign. So, uh, th- and that's an understatement. So if you're going through a difficult season in life, please know that God loves you and has good plans for you. And he's more than able to take care of all that's going on in your life. And our response to that is simply to believe in him and, and to submit to him, to trust that he will take care of us. If you're worrying, go to God and praise. That, that might be the, the solution to the, the next time you, you're confronted with a temptation to worry. Go to God and praise and remember that he is sovereign, that he loves you and he has good plans for you. Okay, let's move on to verse 6 then. So this is the, the second half of the ABAB pattern. This is the, the second exhortation to worship. And in here, we're told to bow down, to worship, and to kneel. And in Hebrew, all three of those words include our knees, the act of bowing down to God or being on our knees. So it's interesting. In verses 1 through 2, we're told to worship God out loud with our mouths, and now we're told to worship God with our knees. Now, obviously, it's our heart that's most important in worship, right? We all know that. But sometimes our hearts can be encouraged to worship by our mouths or by our knees. And and this is just a life lesson here. If you find, uh, over the course of this next uh, two weeks, especially as we're doing this sermon series, or really any time, if you find that your heart is not as close to God as it should be, maybe your heart needs a jump start, and maybe your mouth can help you as you sing praises to God, as you tell other people good things about God, or as you get down on your knees and bow down to God. Maybe it will remind your heart how good God is. Now, let me say this. Um, We can worship God anywhere, anytime, whatever we're doing, but sometimes it's good for us to find a quiet place and to get on our knees and worship God. So, do you see what I'm saying there? We can worship God anytime, place, but sometimes it's good for us as a reminder to get on our knees, to remember that God is the one who loves us and is in charge of it all. Maybe that will be something that will help your heart to be in the right place as you worship God by bowing before him. And then, I want you to notice the first word of verse 6 as well. Come. It's an invitation to worship God. In fact, we have a standing invitation to come into the presence of God. That invitation comes through Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. And in the book of Hebrews, it reminds us that, well, that when Jesus died, the curtain was torn, the curtain that separated God and man. The curtain was torn so that we have access. Because Jesus died for our sins to cleanse us and to make us holy, and because he rose again to show his power over the grave, we can enter into the presence of God. Those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior can meet with God. We have a standing invitation to be in his presence. And when we are in his presence, he will change our hearts. Then moving on to verse 7, we see another reason to worship God. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God is the one who takes care of us like a shepherd. He is the one who leads us into good pasture. 
And again, we're reminded here that God has good plans for us. Sometimes it might not feel like that. Sometimes it feels like maybe God leads us into difficult things. But please know that whatever God allows you to go through, he also wants to be with you in it if your heart will submit to him and seek him and trust in him. I'm reminded here of what Jesus said in John 10, that he is the good shepherd. In John 10, we also saw that God has plans to give us an abundant life. So I get the, the word picture of us being the sheep, and sheep don't always know where to go to get their food or their water, but the shepherd can help them. And that's exactly what God does for us. He's our good shepherd. He leads us in ways that are good. It's a really good reason for us to worship him. But another thing we learn about the good shepherd in John 10 is that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, that's what Jesus did for us. That he saw what would destroy us, sin, and Jesus died to take care of that penalty. So if we trust in Jesus, receiving him as our Savior and Lord, and if we continue to walk with him, we will be saved, and God will continue to lead us into that good pasture. He is a good shepherd. So overall, looking at verses 1 through 7, we see many good reasons to worship God. So let's do it with our mouths, with our knees. Let's give God the worship and thanks and praise that he is worthy of. So how are you doing at that? That's kind of the, the application question as we close this first part of Psalm 95. How is your heart doing? How has your heart been doing? I want you even just to think back over the last week or two. Has your heart been close to God? Have you been worshiping him? Maybe something really difficult has come up, and for some of you, maybe that has meant that you've gotten even closer to God, but maybe for others of you, you've forgotten how good God is in that season of life. Or maybe for others of you, you would say that your life is going really well. Have you stopped to give God thanks and praise for that? How often have you stopped to give God thanks and praise for that? So how is your heart doing? Is your heart resounding in worship to God? Or are you just kind of going about life as normal? I hope normal life for you is worshiping God. Let's move on now to the second part of Psalm 95. I want to read, starting at the very end of verse 7, and I'll read through the end of the psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So it's interesting, in the first part of Psalm 95, the, the focus was on our mouths and on our knees. Now here the focus is on our ears whether we will listen to God, although it's clearly not just about listening, it's also about obeying. And at the end of verse 11, there's a warning. There's a warning of punishment that God gave, and it's supposed to stand as a warning of, of the punishment that God still might give us if we don't listen. It says there at the end of verse 11, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, this part of Psalm 95 is referring back to a time in Israel's history where they disobeyed God. They were rescued out of slavery in Egypt and they were on their way into the promised land but they didn't get to go in because of their disobedience at that time. They had to have a 40-year time out because of their lack of faith because they wouldn't listen to God. So this part of Psalm 95 is a lesson from history. But 
I want you to recognize in, in verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, and that is spoken to us. In fact, I read a theologian who said, The today of Psalm 95 is today. And the you of Psalm 95 is us. So, yes, we're looking at a history lesson here, but it's a living history lesson in the sense of we are supposed to hear what God is speaking to us today. And it goes on to tell us exactly what we should be listening to. In verse 8 it says, Do not harden your hearts. Now again, the historical lesson here in verse 8 is from the time right after the Red Sea miracle. So one of the most amazing miracles that this world has ever seen. God parted this sea so that his people could walk through on dry land and then the sea closed up on the enemies to, to get God's people out of slavery and towards the promised land. And he would have led them right into the promised land. But do you remember what happened? Just shortly after that amazing, amazing miracle, God's people came to a place where there wasn't much water to drink. Now, you might want to flip, uh, keep one hand in Psalm 95, and you can flip back to Exodus 17, 1 through 7. It tells the story there. Uh, in fact, that would be a, a great one for you to lead, read later on today. Um, also, Hebrews 3 through 4 in the New Testament gives us some insight on that, that same passage. So we have this story in Exodus 17, and it's so important that it shows up again in Psalm 95, and then again in Hebrews 3 through 4. So there's really a lesson that we need to hear. Now I want you to think about what was happening in Exodus 17. God was clearly leading his people, as clearly as he had ever led them, through the ten plagues, through the Red Sea, God was leading his people. But even so, the first little difficulty that comes up, they don't have enough water, Listen to what the people said in Exodus 17.3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now let's just stop for a moment there. What should have they done instead? God led them out amazingly, and now they come to a place where there isn't enough water. What should have they done? They should have gone before God and said, God, how, how are you going to take care of us? We're excited to see how you're going to do it. We've, we've just seen the amazing things that you have done to take care of us, and we trust that you will take care of this situation with our water right now. But that's not what they did. They complained. Specifically, the two words used were quarrel and test. They quarreled against God and Moses, and they put God to the test. In fact, it was so bad that, that uh, those places where they did that were named quarrel and test. The Hebrew words for those would be Meribah and Massa. That's why it's said like that in Psalm 95.8. So they had a geographical lesson right there for them for the, that, that stood for a long time, that when they looked at Meribah and Massa, they remembered how they quarreled and tested God. I want to ask you a question here by way of application. Do you worship or complain? And as I was thinking about this, I was noticing you can't do both at the same time. If you're complaining, you're complaining. And if you're worshiping, you're worshiping. But it's, you can't really worship by complaining. Now, some people, maybe more than others, have a difficulty with complaining. So I just want to I just want to talk to to those people for the most part, although every one of us needs to hear this because we all can tend to get complaining at sometimes. A complaining heart is a heart that says to God, "Why are you doing this to me?" 
I don't have what I want. And you know what we tend to do when we get into that? We throw a pity party for ourselves. And I am thankful that about 20 years ago, I read in a Christian book that complaining and self-pity, it's just really a different kind of pride. It's, it's a way of saying, I don't have what I need, and I deserve it, so I'm going to be mad at whoever will listen to me. Isn't that it? That's what complaining is. Now think how different that is than worshiping. And we'll use the Israelites as an example. They didn't have enough water. What should have they done? They should have, again, said, God, we trust that you're going to get us through this. You're the God who's already done so much for us. We thank you for how you've been leading us. Would you please continue to lead us? And I think it's okay to ask God a question that way. And it's interesting to me, even the, the words between worshiping and, and complaining aren't always that different. When we complain, we say, God, how come you're not giving me water? And when we worship, we say, God, how are you going to give us water? Just a few different words in there, but the heart is so different. So again, I want to ask, do you worship or complain? When things don't go your way, what do you do? When you get annoyed with people, when the events of life don't go the way you want them to, what do you do? I hope that one of the lessons you get from these psalm series that we do every year is that God is always worthy of worship, even in our difficult circumstances. Getting back to Psalm 95 and verse 9, it says the people of Israel tested and tried God even though they had seen what he did. And I've kind of hit this point already. They had seen God's power, his goodness, his miracles. They should have known the heart and the character of God that he would take care of them, and we should know it too. Yet how often do we question God's ability or willingness to be good to us? Why do we do that? Are you in a spot right now in life where you're questioning God's goodness? Please know that he is the one who loves to take care of his people, and he's really good at it. And then in verse 10 we see that God was angry with those people in Israel for 40 years. Now that might seem harsh to us, but at the end of verse 10 we, we see why God was angry with them for so long. It says, They are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So by way of a negative example here, we learn two things that God wants from us. He wants our hearts to stay close to him and he wants us to know his ways and obviously to follow his ways. And I think that those two things are connected. We should be people who know God and walk with him, walk on his ways. In fact, in Hebrews 3-4, through 4, which also retells this story of the Israelites at Meribah and Massa, the reminder for us is that we should not follow their example of disobedience. Instead, we should look to God's living and active word. That's Hebrews 4 where it reminds us the word of God is living and active. As we seek him and get to know his ways, we'll recognize that his ways are good. Or back in Hebrews 3, we're told not to have a sinful, unbelieving heart. We are to trust in his God and to, to, to trust in God and follow his ways. Not our ways. It can be so easy for us to come up with our own ideas. So how do we do this? How do we get to know God's ways and follow his ways? We get it by listening. That's how, remember how this started out. Today, if you hear his voice, how do we hear his voice? In his word. And remember, we're not just talking about hearing God's word. Jesus said that it's not enough simply to hear the word of God. He reminded us that we should put it into practice, that we should do it, that we should obey it. And that brings me back to something I want to highlight in verses 7 through 8. 
where it says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A hard heart is a heart that will not follow God. A hard heart goes its own way. A hard heart will not listen or obey. A hard heart follows the natural pattern of sin. Instead, we are to have soft, responsive hearts. And I want to use two Bible characters here to emphasize these two points of a hard versus a soft heart. So when you think of a person in the Bible with a hard heart, who do you think of? Say it out loud. I bet a bunch of you are thinking it already. Pharaoh, you got it, you guys. A plus for the day. All right. Multiple times in the book of Exodus, Pharaoh is said to have a hard heart. Now it's interesting because sometimes it says that God hardened his heart and we can wrongly look at that and say, well, well, God just picked Pharaoh to have a hard heart and that's the end of the story. Well, it's not the end of the story because it also says in the book of Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So yes, there, there is a theological difficulty to figure out there, but I, I guarantee you God has it figured out, even if we don't. But, but I also know that Pharaoh played a part in this. He hardened his own heart. He clearly heard God's ways. What did God say to him? Say it with me. Let my people go so that they may worship me. God wanted his people to be let out of Egypt. God wanted Pharaoh to let them out. Pharaoh kind of liked his labor force. Pharaoh kind of liked the idea of building his own kingdom and using the Israelites as slaves. So when he heard the message from God to let those people go, Pharaoh stiffened himself against God. Now, there were times when it looked like he was listening, and he, he said, okay, okay, I'll let them go, and then he quickly changed his mind, hardened his heart, wouldn't let the people go. And in the end, it was disaster for Pharaoh. He wouldn't listen and wouldn't listen, and it was disaster for him and the whole nation of Egypt. Okay, what about a soft heart? When you think of someone with a soft heart, who do you think of? This one might be a little more difficult. In fact, uh, I looked this up, and I don't think the word soft even ever occurs in the, uh, at least in my translation of the Bible. Uh, but there is a character in the Bible that says he had a responsive heart, and that's King Josiah. In 2 Chronicles 34, 27, it says of him, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke. See the difference between Pharaoh and King Josiah? They both heard the word of God, but only one of them humbled himself before God. And let's think about King Josiah for a little bit. It wasn't until King Josiah's 18th year as king that they found the book of the law. So think about it. For 17 years, King Josiah is reigning as king over Israel, and the book of the law is just missing. It's shocking that it ever got that way in Israel, but that's where it had gotten to. He, King Josiah was ruling, and you can imagine, for 17 years, he kind of came up with a lot of his own ideas of how he should lead the nation. Then all of a sudden, in year 18, the people come to them and they say, hey, guess what we found? God's word. And you know what King Josiah did? He humbled himself. And he went to great lengths to make sure that they figured out what it said in God's word and how they could not just listen to it, but also obey it. And again, I just said make this point stand out, it would have been so easy for King Josiah to say, no thanks, I kind of got this king thing figured out, we'll do it my way. But that's not what he said. He had a soft, responsive heart. Okay, at this point in my sermon, I want to do something a little different now. I want to I invite the kids up. I've got a lesson here. Uh, and I'll, I'll tempt you kids with, uh, with what I've got here. Um, 
So if, if you're a kid, come on up here. I've got, I've got a homework assignment that I want to give out to you kids here today. Okay, so here, I'm going to set this down. I've got, it's, a, it's not Play-Doh, it's like the, the cheaper version of Play-Doh. Hopefully it works. But, uh, so every family, okay, so first of all, kids, every family needs one piece of paper. And I'm going to give this out to you. And there you go. And there, there you go. You can take it for our family, and you can take it for your family, and you can take it for yours. And if some of you have kids or grandkids that you want to do this, I've got enough that uh, you can come up and, and do this lesson with your grandkids. Um, so you can you can come up to me later on too if you want it. So what this is it's a devotional on a hard heart versus a soft heart. And now um, the the first part of it, the one you parents need to know, is that the first instruction is that you're supposed to take one of these out. Uh, spread it out on a plate or wax paper and let it sit out for like a day or two so it will get hard and dry. So every family is going to get at least two of these. So in fact, here, I'll just give every kid at least, at least one. And, um, and then there's some instructions on there. So this is a family devotion. I hear, Elijah, I'm going to give you two of them because nobody wants a white, do they? I don't no. like white. <laughs> there you go. You can have two of those. And then we'll get you two of those. Can you pass those down to William? Okay. Okay, so kids, you now have a Bible lesson that you can do. You can have your parents help you to read what's on that white sheet. And then, so when you get home from church, remind your parents to take one of those containers of Play-Doh and, and set it out so that it will get nice and dry. You might even want to roll it like a, with a, a rolling pin or something and let it get good and dry and crusty. Um, and then keep the other one in the package. Okay, so you kids can go back to your seats now, and if there's others of you that want to, I've got, I've got some extras here, so you can take it if you have other kids that you want to do it with. But, um, this is just going to be a, a devotional that you, you families can do about the difference between having a hard heart or a soft heart, and, and the, the softy dough will be the example for you. Okay, so getting back to the sermon here, how is your heart before God? Is it soft or hard? Again, the whole point of this, this psalm series that we do is that we want to look at our hearts and we want to see if we're listening to God. And, and how do we know? Well, here's a test for you. How eagerly are you seeking God in his word? Again, with King Josiah is the example. He was the one, when he heard God's word, he knew that he had to listen and obey. And it wasn't just for him. He knew that the rest of the people needed it as well. So he urged the other people in Israel to listen to God's word. How is your heart doing? Are you more intent on going your way or God's way? And you see, one of the things I love about the regular habit of reading the Bible is that every time we open God's word, it's an opportunity for us to show our humility before God and to say, God, I am here to listen to you. I am here to let you shape my heart. Because our hearts are to be like that soft Play-Doh that we let God have his way in us. We let him shape us into whoever he wants us to be. Now as we take a step back and conclude here, take a look at Psalm 95 as a whole, one of the things we notice is that we're not in that much of a different situation than the Israelites were in. Think about it historically. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and they were on their way into the promised land, but they weren't there yet. They needed to trust God as they waited for him to bring them into the promised land. 
For us, for those of us who already know Jesus, we've been rescued out of slavery to sin. But we are not yet in our promised land of heaven. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to trust God as we wait. Or we're to worship God as we wait. I think there's a song about that. I will worship as I'm waiting. That's a good one for us. Will we be people who worship God as we wait for Him to make good on all of His promises? He will make good on all of them. Let's worship as we wait. And then as we take a look at Psalm 95 as a whole, we also learn that we are to worship God with our mouths, with our knees, and with our ears. I feel like we should stand up and do the head, shoulders, knees, and toes song here, but worship God with our mouths, our knees, and our ears. And again, if we know that our heart is the most important in this, but if you notice that your heart isn't in the right place, maybe your heart can be reminded by your mouth or your knees or your ears. And maybe one of the things you can do in response to this is to sing more worship songs to God. Find more time throughout your week to, to sing worship songs or even to listen to worship songs. Or maybe another takeaway from this is that you want to find some quiet time and get on your knees before God and worship. Or maybe it's just that 100th reminder that I've given, maybe 1,000th reminder that I've given, for you to spend time humbly before God's Word and listen to what He says in it. Whatever it is, let's be people who are humble and recognize that God is worthy of worship. And our lives tend to get pointed in the right direction as we worship God. I want to say that again because I think that's important. Our lives tend to get pointed in the right direction as we worship God and give Him thanks. We have two more psalms to look at over the next two weeks. And over the course of those two weeks, I want you to look at your heart. How are you doing in the area of worshiping God and giving thanks? If you've strayed like the Israelites, go to God in repentance. And then go to Him with a thankful heart. If things are going really well for you, remember that it's God who is blessing you and give Him thanks and praise. But wherever you're coming from, worship God. Let's be people who, like it says in Hebrews 3.14, hold firmly till the end. So let's not harden our hearts. Let's, Let's have soft hearts that listen to God and worship God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you lead us in very good ways. And and we acknowledge that that sometimes, just like the Israelites struggled with it, we sometimes struggle to see how you're being good to us. But help us to remember that you are good and that your heart's desire is to be with your people. So God, whether we're going through difficult times or really good times, help us to remember how good you are and to give you the praise and worship and thanks that you are worthy of. God, I pray that we would give it to you with our mouths and our knees and our ears and that our hearts would rejoice in you. You are so good to us. Help us not to harden our hearts, but to keep humbly submitting our lives to you in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.